Welcome to Schneps Connects. I'm your host, Josh Schneps. I continue with interviews of the leading candidates uh, for New York City mayor as we quickly approach the Democratic primary. I'm happy to have on the show today, Maya Wiley, who's running to be the next mayor and has a fantastic background to share with us. She's a nationally recognized racial justice and equity advocate. She was a leader in city government, recently serving as counsel to Mayor de Blasio. Maya is a veteran of both the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund and the ACLU. She was a legal analyst for NBC News and MSNBC and was the founder and president of the Center for Social Inclusion. Maya, it's terrific to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's so great to be here, particularly with the Brooklyn Bridge behind your head. <laughs> Absolutely. My parents were born and bred, and I live in Brooklyn, so, and I know you do too. So, you know, I touched on a little bit of your, your background, but I would love for you to just share your story, and particularly what led you into being involved in politics and obviously the decision to run for mayor. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And look, I am an advocate and an activist, a child of civil rights activists. I grew up in a household that was always fighting for you know families, particularly in black community to get the opportunities that they deserved. And I spent 30 years of my life doing that. Mm -hmm. And most of it, most of it on the outside, <laughs> right? And honestly, uh, after 25 years of working on everything from, you know, getting more funding into our public schools to literally access to healthcare, making sure folks could see a doctor when they're sick, to, to making sure folks had healthy food in their communities, all the things that everyone needs, because we don't live single issue lives, right? Mm -hmm. We need whole communities so that families and people can be whole. Um, so after that, I went into city government. Uh, after 25 years of being on the outside, I, 2014, I went inside because I knew and agreed with, you know, the wisdom of Shirley Chisholm mm -hmm. when she said you can either whimper and complain on the sidelines or you can make progress by implementing ideas. And that's the thing. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who loves to implement and get things done for people. And that's actually what drew me into this race because I'm a person, not a politician. I come from a community, not a political machine. And that's why I'm running because that's what we need right now. It's a historic time and we need vastly different type of leadership. So I know you live in Brooklyn as well as I do. I have two children. I know you have two children yeah. as well. Let's talk a little bit about education, right? I mean, it's important to us. It's important to, to many people. We have one of the biggest school systems in the country, if not the largest. What, what are some of the things that you see in terms of the Department of Education? Yeah, look, we need every last one of our kids to be seen as exceptional because <laughs> they are. They're our future. Both my kids went to public schools. Between the two of them, I have about 15 years in public schools in this city, and I've navigated the elementary school, middle school, and high school process. Mm -hmm. It is just too hard to get what we need for our kids. It has to be made easier, and it has to be made easier in a way that gets our kids more excited about education. And we're not at the leading edge in this city. We're the largest by far, but we're not the most innovative. And at a time when our kids, what I'm hearing from parents um, is, and I, we're all feeling it as parents, is our kids have lost at least a year of education. And that's even, even the lucky ones that were able to get online. 
And as we know, we have far too many kids, particularly the over 100,000 kids who live in shelter who couldn't. Uh, that is something that we have to recognize because our system is not a 21st century system, but our kids are being asked to navigate the 21st century. So a big part of it is innovations in how our kids learn, making it more exciting and interesting, but serving what they really need to know, but also in a way that ensures they have the technology to do it. And I'm, I think the only candidate in this race who actually had to deliver on, on broadband. And we got, I led the effort, found the money and got every single apartment in Queensbridge houses, free broadband that the city paid for exactly. so that there was a safety net for folks. And so when I go back in as mayor, we're going to solve this problem. Well, I can tell you with my children being young, you know, if you put technology in their hands and you show them how to use it, they certainly can run with it, but they have yeah. to have it. Well, and we have to invest in our teachers and our administrators to support them to be able to use it effectively. That was a missed opportunity this summer. It was disastrous for our teachers and administrators who care so deeply, and they do. You know, we, we, I saw it myself in my own kids' schools, uh, but they weren't equipped. They weren't given clear messages. They weren't given clear supports about what they were going to face in the fall. They, they had their own challenges, just trying to navigate whatever was going to happen. That should never have happened either to our families or to our teachers and, and principals. Um, but we have the ability to invest and support their ability to use technology really well. And that's what we will do. Good points. You know, I would love to hear your stance on uh, infrastructure, because I know that you've come out with um, some strong points on that. And obviously, transportation infrastructure, healthcare infrastructure is critical to New York City, especially, God willing, as we come out of um, the pandemic um, and also creation of jobs. So I would love for you to share your vision in terms of infrastructure and what you would like to see be done as mayor. Oh, well, this is critical because we have a crisis that is multiple, right? We have the crisis that is COVID. We have the crisis that has been racial injustice, the death of George Floyd bringing it to the forefront, but it wasn't new and a, not, and a challenge for our city and the nation. Uh, and we have, you know, what I call, you know, this, this spiritual devastation of our city. You know, we yeah. are hurting, we are traumatized. We have far too many folks who are not sure where their next meal is gonna come from or whether they can pay their rent and are gonna get evicted, let alone have a job with a future. And these were problems before COVID, but COVID fast-tracked them. So here's the thing about infrastructure. Infrastructure is part of what brings us back, right, from the brink of this economic devastation, but can bring us back in a way that speaks to those other problems. In other words, infrastructure is not just infrastructure. Uh, so I have a plan that, and this is something I can do as mayor without permission from Albany or mm -hmm. money from DC, which is to spend $10 billion in capital construction, in the capital construction, raise those funds to spend that money. But that money will go to creating 100,000 new jobs, good jobs, We'll do local targeting so that we're ensuring that communities that have the 
25% rates of unemployment are getting access to those jobs because too often those are also the jobs the communities we're talking about when we're talking about George Floyd and racial injustice, right? Mm -hmm. And that we're also gonna do it in a way that solves our other problems. So capital construction, infrastructure, when we use those big wonky terms, what we're really saying is housing you can afford at rents you can pay. Uh, resiliency from flooding because we have rising sea levels. You know, uh, two thirds of our residents who live in flood zones in the city are low income people of color. So that also goes to also some of our other problems that we have to fix. Folks ask for transportation alternatives because we need different ways to get around the city that also recognize our environment is endangered and that endangers our people. Uh, but we can do that with capital construction dollars. So I see it as problem solving that speaks to all three of those things. The crisis that is COVID economically, the crisis that has been racial inequity in the city, so that we're also investing in communities that have deep need, but we're also doing it in a way that actually feeds our spirit because we're watching our city come back, but we're doing it in a way that brings us together and that sees us all in this together. And we definitely must do that as a city. And that's the kind of mayor I'll be. Let's talk about crime and the NYPD because obviously um, there, there's been huge issues around racial injustice um, and you know those aren't gonna go away. The NYPD is there to protect us and keep us safe. So there's obviously a balance there in terms of community engagement and also uh, funding. So what are your thoughts in terms of, A, how the NYPD could be improved and you know how their resources should or should not be used? Yeah, thank you. This is a really critical question for us right now for all the reasons that you've just said, Josh, and for the three reasons I say is our historic crisis, right? COVID, racial injustice, and, spirit, and spiritual uh, malaise. You know, mm -hmm. we, Policing is something that represents also an intersection of all those three things. But here's what we can do. We can put the public back in public safety, which means that we are safe in our streets and in our communities from crime and from police violence. We can do both those things, but here's what it requires. It requires us looking at, and as a public, as a people, with the people participating in this, the, what are the priorities for policing, right? The priorities for policing, because so much of what policing is right now, depending on what data point you use, some people say only 40% of 911 calls are for things that are appropriate for the police to respond to. Um, right. I looked at the data of 13 months of data out of 15 million calls to the police department. Only about 2 million of them were for serious and critical crimes in progress. What we have is a failure from city government to recognize that we have been asking our police department to do functions that are not policing functions. And that's getting us into trouble. So I would say two things. Public gets to say what the priorities are. The people get to say. Guns, illegal guns coming to our community, police priority. We need, the, we need the police focused on that, that's clear. But we also know that the police should not be the ones we call for a mental health crisis. 
you know, because that's when people get killed. And too often it's people of color in communities of color. It's black people, it's Latinos, it's Asian. And that the way we solve that is by recognizing rather than paying for a gun and a badge to respond where we need a mental health professional, we're gonna have a crisis response that is mental health professionals to a crisis that requires a mental health professional. Uh, it's also, you know, trauma-informed care in our schools. You know, we're, we're too often policing what are trauma problems. And so one of the things that we're going to do in our gun violence prevention platform is we're going to have trauma-informed care in our schools because that's a big part of it. And safety, back to other safety and resources, by focusing police department on what it should be doing means we will, we will shrink the size of the police department because they're too often being asked to do someone else's job. Instead, we're gonna get the people who should be doing the job doing it, but that includes our kids. A lot of times, some of the problems our kids have are going to school or coming home from school. So having community-based adult supervision for those periods of the day, we call them you know, safe street corridors, is a critically important part of keeping people safe, but mm. it doesn't require a gun and a badge, it just requires adults. Uh, and so there are lots of ways that we build community and build safety because people are getting the supports and services they need. And then the police department isn't asked to solve every societal problem, which is not their job. Well, listen, I think any New Yorker, especially now that's walking the street, sees that mental illness is an issue. And it's tough because as just a New Yorker, you know, approaching that person can potentially be a problem. So yeah, you know, the, the police doing it, it's there's got to be a better way, certainly. I want to touch on real estate a little bit because I know, obviously, we were talking about infrastructure and you were talking about real estate and serving the communities that need it most. Where do you stand on development? Because obviously, there's been some big developments that have been pushed back by local community. I think there's been a lot of concern about gentrification, yet you have to balance it like everything's about supply and demand. If you don't have enough supply, um, how does the price come down to affordable? Or how do you get to that goal of having affordable housing? So where, where do you stand in terms of real estate development and um, what would you do as mayor? Well, first, let me say, I believe that we can develop without displacement because that's really what the tension is, right? It's not growth itself, it's who benefits. Mm. And the, what we need is a strong mayor, which I will be because I've done it my whole life, <laughs> that focuses on how we create wins for what the city needs and everyone in it. So for example, we have the ability to do and have not, but have the ability to do longer term planning on what kind of growth we need that serves our needs, right? Um, we've talked about some when we were talking about my New Deal New York plan for creating 100,000 new jobs, that's development. That's growth, uh, but it's also identifying the community problems that growth and development can help serve, like affordable housing, like making sure we have um, housing that doesn't displace community, but actually is affordable for community. So what the city can do is both really engage communities in long-term planning so that it's not just a constant eruption of a fight, but also recognize that the fight is about distrust. 
It's about uh, a, not a belief that it's going to incur mean jobs for people who need it the most, that, that it's not going to be housing that, and rents that people can actually afford. Because unfortunately, in the de Blasio administration, far too much of the quote unquote affordable housing was not affordable to the folks who needed it. And that's, that started creating folks fighting the, the development. Well, that's actually something that the city can work on because the city has the ability to ask developers to do more affordable at price points people can actually afford, but also have other strategies for development, like not-for-profit development and partnerships with not-for-profit developers, like city using its vacant land uh, for a housing that's affordable to very low income people, helping to solve homelessness. Because remember, the homeless crisis is an eviction crisis. If we don't solve affordable housing, we're not solving homelessness. And it's because we're not creating it for folks who need more, more, more low income housing. So we have a way of investing in that. That will include public housing too. But my point is, it's a solvable problem. It just requires a mayor that says, we're gonna to come to the table with everyone at the table and figure it out, but it will be principled. And the principles are that people have to benefit and, and that means growth, and that means growth that's done in partnership. So to stay on the economy, because you talked about your plan for the New Deal New York, as far as small business, what, what are the things do you see can be done as mayor to really get us out of uh, the, the pandemic kind of uh, recession that we're in, economically speaking? Yeah, this is critical because our small businesses are the backbone of our economy. 95% of our businesses are small. My mother was a small business owner, kept food on our table, except when it didn't. <laughs> I mean, we, we didn't go hungry, but I, I mean, I know that I know how hard it is to keep a business going and what it means to go into the red and what it means to be in the black. And during COVID, one of the things my neighbors and I did, which a lot of New Yorkers did, right? People come together and figure out how to solve problems with or without government. So we came together just as volunteers to try to provide help to our little small local neighborhood businesses to make sure they knew and understood where the pots of money were that were supposed to help them weather the storm. And you know what, Josh? They weren't designed for them. The programs were not designed for what they needed. One business owner, Noel Santos, in Lit Bar in, in Mott Haven, the Bronx, and that woman grew up in public housing, scratched, created you know, with community an amazing bookstore, cafe. It's an amazing place, community center, as well as a, as well as a business. She said to me, Maya, you know, here's the thing. The government programs are run by people who've never run a small business. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And it's true. So one of the things that we have to change is recognizing our small businesses. It's not one size fits all. Restaurants need different kinds of supports and help than a bookstore, than um, a shop that sells clothing. Those are different kinds of businesses. They need different kinds of support. But I'll tell you what every single one of them needs. Affordable commercial rent. They were struggling with the rent before COVID. It was getting too pricey, just like housing was. The city was becoming too unaffordable. And so we have the opportunity, and I'm going to be putting out a plan in, in, the, in the coming weeks around helping small businesses with affordable rent. But then the programs and supports and grants and tax abatements and regulations that are killing our small businesses We've got to fix both in a crisis. So we have to have a crisis plan that says 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna lighten up on the red tape so that we're not choking you with it and we're gonna figure out how we help you if your restaurants how we keep you uh, utilizing open space as well as indoor space safely so that you can survive. We're gonna make sure if your other kinds of businesses that you're getting, that we are hearing what you need that's unique to your business category and being responsive to that. Because government can and must just listen and learn better so that we're designing the programs so that businesses actually get the benefit. And that's the benefit of having someone like me as mayor, because I've been on that side of the fence as the daughter of a business owner, but also as an advocate, that's what you have to do as an advocate and activist. You gotta listen and understand the problems to design the fixes with the people who are impacted by them. And our city government can do that. And I will do that as mayor. So, you know, you have a, a fantastic mix in terms of your background of, you know, being involved in business and, and advocacy, um, as well as city government. Um, what do you think is your biggest strength um, and biggest differentiator versus the other people that are running for mayor that you really want to most vocally communicate? Yeah, look, I am a change maker. That's what it means to be an advocate and an activist. It means being a change maker. And I think we all know we need a change in government. It cannot be business as usual. And we can't keep promoting the same kinds of people to a job that is supposed to serve us, every single one of us, every single person in the city. Whether you have, you know, no matter what you look like, no matter which zip code you live in, which borough, they're all our boroughs no matter whether you have a big bank account or no bank account at all, you know, public housing or luxury housing, this city, that's what makes a city great is all of us are in it. But we need a leadership that knows and understands all of that from the perspective of change making and pulling us together to make it together. That's what I've done my whole career. That's what I did outside of government for decades. It's what I went into government to do. And it's how I got government to do things it had never done before, like every single unit in Queensbridge houses getting free broadband. But I did it by pulling folks together. And I did it after government. I did it. I did. I did it as an academic uh, creating a digital equity lab and also being a volunteer to help design and get people to the table together to make those changes in city government. I'm a change maker. I'm gonna make change for all of us so that we can all live in this city with dignity. Well, Mai, it's been a pleasure having you on Schneps Connection and honestly getting to know you better and your candidacy. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be with you. I look forward to more. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. <laughs>